Well, good morning, everybody. Hello. Glad to see you all here. Uh, we are excited to have Jews for Jesus here. Um, they've been here a few years ago, and they're back, and um, we're going to be talking about a whole bunch of stuff, and um, I'm sure you will be blessed by it. Um, we are encouraged. Uh, Rich is going to be uh, speaking to us today, so let's uh, give him a warm, you know, hand, you know, welcome him to Calvary Chapel Mountain View. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, it's good to be back here with you. I think, I think the last time that I um, spoke personally at Calvary Chapel here, you were in the old facility, and it was uh, some years ago, and we've had other speakers since then, but it is really good to be with you here this morning, and I want to thank uh, Pastor Bill, though he's not here this morning, for uh, for inviting Jews for Jesus back to, uh, to come. So he asked me to speak on the topic of the Feasts of Israel, and I said, you know, and there's so many, we're going to have to kind of limit it and zoom in to what's happening around this, uh, this time of the year. So um, we're having a set, uh, a set of fall or autumn holidays coming up on the Jewish calendar beginning on the night of September 6th. And if we go to the next slide there, um, we can see that it's about repentance and atonement. So, and then there's going to be, after that, there's going to be a holiday that's all about joy. But we start with the theme of repentance and atonement. This is the time of year when um, Millions of Jews around the world are going to gather in the synagogues and focus on repenting of our sins and focus on asking God to uh, forgive our sins. Um, I'm sorry, I, I should have put the scriptures up here, but I didn't. These holidays go back to Leviticus chapter 23. Um, Leviticus 23 is the, is the chapter in the Old Testament that gives us um, seven of the main um, holidays or, or feasts or festivals that are on the calendar of ancient Israel and that are still celebrated today. And I, I call that chapter the Holiday Inn of the Old Testament because that's where you go to find um, all these festivals listed. And as you read through the chapter, you come to the point where it says, on the first day of the seventh month, you are to have a holy convocation and not work and you are to celebrate it with the sounding of trumpets, is what it says. So biblically, it's been known as the Feast of Trumpets. And the idea is that um, trumpets were used in the ancient times to kind of get people gathered, maybe for warfare or to just alert them about something. And so in this season, the, the sounding of trumpets is meant to kind of wake us up to the need to repent. And it's not an orchestra trumpet. It's a, it's a very special instrument that we'll hear, actually, in a, in a moment or two. So the next slide shows us that today it's actually known as Rosh Hashanah, or the Jewish New Year. In Bible times, like I say, it was called the Feast of Trumpets. Now, one thing people ask me a lot is, wait a second. It says um, that this is the first of the seventh month, so why today is it the Jewish New Year, which would be the first month? 
And the answer to that is that as you actually go through the Old Testament, there are several different New Years like we have today. You know, we have an academic year that starts like in August. We have a calendar New Year that starts in January. We have a fiscal New Year that starts, I don't know when, but reminds you you have to pay your taxes. It's a fiscal New Year. So also in Bible times, it was like that. In Leviticus 23, it's the seventh month, but there's also a hint that um, maybe not on the religious calendar, but on the agricultural calendar, this was the start of a new year. So today it's also known as the Jewish New Year. In fact, it's known that way uh, much more than it is um, known as the, uh, as the Feast of Trumpets. And then 10 days after the new year, we come to the next slide. Why is this guy looking so sad? It's because he has no food on his plate. On Yom Kippur is the Day of Atonement. It's the holiest day of the, of the whole Jewish year. And this is a day when Leviticus 23 tells us, it says several times, deny yourself, which has traditionally been taken to mean fast for 24 hours because by fasting, you're denying yourself and you're able to like focus in more on repenting of your sins and asking God to forgive you. I think it's also, you know, a Christian practice that sometimes we fast and pray for different things because that helps us to focus in. Well, it's the same idea on this day. Uh, although this guy doesn't need to look too sad because once the Day of Atonement is over, people usually break the fast with a big meal. So... Next slide, yeah, on the new year, okay, now there, there's pretty much food associated with every Jewish holiday except for the Day of Atonement when you fast. There's food for every other Jewish holiday. In fact, it's been said that, you know, most of the holidays on the Jewish calendar you could summarize by, they tried to kill us, we won, let's eat. Well, nobody tried to kill us on this holiday, but nevertheless, we do um, eat something. We dip apples into honey, and this symbolizes, let's have a sweet new year ahead of us. Even though it's a, a serious season of the year, there's still a note that, hey, there, there's something good. We wish one another a sweet new year. We dip apples in honey. And then we also blow not the trumpet that you might be used to, but what you see there is a ram's horn called a shofar. That is used to wake us up to repentance. If you've never heard a shofar, you're going to hear one now. And it's not very melodious, um, but it's very effective. Okay, let's play this little video clip. The following are the four traditional shofar blasts. The first one is the tekiah, which is a long blast. The shevarim, which is three broken blasts. The teruah, which is the alarming sound that the enemy is approaching. And the tekiah agadola, which is the last one long sound blast that increments. Tekiah. Shararim. 
he kind of petered out at the end there. You're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to really hold it for a long time and then end it like, you know. But you can tell from the sound, right, that if you're sleeping, it wakes you up. And um, it's, it's a great way to, to remind you that, hey, it's really, it's really time to, um, to repent uh, of our sins. Now, the next slide gives you another theme of this holiday, and that's the book of life. So here's the idea, right? The idea is that um, on this holiday, we wish one another, may you be inscribed by God for another year of life. And amongst religious Jews, the hope is that, yeah, we, we, we're repenting, we hope God will forgive us, and so we'll be written in God's book of life for one more year. Now, the book of life is actually a biblical idea. Next slide gives you a few examples of this in Exodus. This was the, um, the incident of the golden calf. You remember that story? Moses is up on Mount Sinai for 40 days, right? And the people can't figure out why he's taking so long, what's become of him. So they just kind of say, you know what, let's forget Moses um, and let's just make gods for ourselves. And so what they do is they all put their jewelry into a fire and they mold like a golden calf out of it. And they start worshiping the calf. And then Moses comes down and he sees what's going on. And he's like, are you kidding me? What are you guys doing? And he goes up to Aaron, his brother, who was left in charge and says, what's going on here? And Aaron comes up with the lamest excuse in the whole Bible. He goes, oh, People threw their gold into the fire and out came this calf. <laughs> and Moses obviously doesn't accept that answer. So he prays to God to forgive them. And he says, now please forgive their sin. If not, then blot me out of the book you have written. And the Lord replied to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. And there are other Old Testament examples of that idea. But the Apostle Paul also still used that idea. He said, I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. And finally, Revelation, right? Nothing impure will ever enter it, the, the New Jerusalem. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Of course, we know the Lamb is another name for Jesus. And so rather than having to hope that God will forgive our sins each year and maybe uh, write us into his book of life for one more year, we have confidence that God has sent Jesus to be the final atonement for our sins. And by faith in him, we are written in the Lamb's book of life. And that's a confidence and a hope that a lot of my people, my Jewish people, don't have. But there's something really cool um, about this holiday. And that is the next slide. In the synagogues, you know, there's always scripture readings for different occasions. On this holiday, we read Genesis 22, and that is, you know, the most strange story that's there in the Old Testament. It's the story of how God told Abraham 
to offer up his only son, Isaac. And so the story goes, God tested Abraham, it says. He said to him, Abraham. And Abraham goes, here I am. And the Lord says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. I didn't put the rest of the text up there. I'm going to summarize it. So they go. They start going up to Mount Moriah. And Abraham and his son Isaac. Isaac is, is probably a teenager at this point. And they're going up there. And Isaac says, you know, we've got the wood to make the fire and everything to build an altar and, and to sacrifice. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Sacrifice an animal. And Abraham says, God will provide my son. They keep going. And they go up, they go up, they get there. And then Abraham builds the altar. And he ties Isaac on the altar, binds him there. And we don't read that Isaac objected. We don't really read anything about what's going through their minds, you know? He ties up Isaac on the altar, and he raises the knife, getting ready to kill his son. And then the angel of the Lord calls out, Abraham, Abraham. And he goes, here I am. And then the angel of the Lord says, stop and don't lay a hand on the boy. Because now I love you. Because, now I know that you love me, rather. Because you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And they look up, and what do you know? They're in the bushes, they see a ram, it's caught by its horns, and that becomes the sacrifice in place of Isaac. Oh, a strange story. Why would God command the sacrifice of a son? Um, he doesn't want human sacrifice after all. And why, why is um, this story in the Bible? And every year there are debates and discussions and blogs and, and all sorts of things. What does this story mean? Is it about Abraham was a man of great faith? Yeah, okay, yeah, he was. Is it a, is it a story about, you know, how God can even order people to do something unethical? You know, I don't think that one's right. So it's a big mystery. But now I want you to check something out. On the next slide here, right, I've got a painting by a famous 20th century Jewish painter named Mark Chagall. He was not a believer in Jesus, but he painted a lot of biblical scenes. He painted a lot of scenes of Jesus on the cross because in his mind, Jesus was kind of a symbol of all the suffering that Jewish people had gone through down through the centuries. But here he painted something that he called the sacrifice of Isaac. And check this out. There you've got Abraham um, with the knife in his hand and the color red. You've got Isaac on the altar there in yellow. You've got the angel of the Lord in blue coming down to stop Abraham. Off on the left side, you've got that bush with the ram in it there. And even though she's not mentioned in this chapter, he put in Abraham's wife, Sarah, all the way on the left anyway. 
But then you see something you don't expect a Jewish painter to include. Uh, can you make it out? In the upper right, there's a scene of Jesus carrying the cross. And the color red is dripping down onto Abraham like blood. And why did Marc Chagall paint a painting like that? Because, well, I think not only did he see Jesus as a symbol of Jewish suffering, but I wonder if he made an Old New Testament connection here. Because Genesis 22 tells us that God called Abraham to offer his son, his only son, whom he loved. That's what it says. And then when you go to the New Testament, in the most famous verse, I think, that's in the New Testament, John 3.16, we read something very similar. We read that God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And maybe that's the solution to why this chapter is in the Bible. Because as Abraham was commanded to offer his only son, which God mercifully stopped and provided a substitute, God the Father offered his only son, Jesus, who willingly went to his death for our sins. So as this story is read in the synagogue, and it's, it's a, a good story to read if you're, if you're spending uh, time thinking about sin and atonement and repentance. But one thing that we can come away from that story is that it's a picture of a, uh, much, greater, a much greater atonement that, uh, that happened when Jesus went to the cross. In Old Testament days, we were always sacrificing animals to uh, uh, secure God's forgiveness for our sins. And even the Day of Atonement, um, if you read the full account of what happened biblically in Leviticus chapter 16, it was all about sacrificing animals. And um, that's how you had your sins forgiven. But we know there's a, a better sacrifice today, and that's Jesus himself. As a matter of fact, today Jewish people, I'm sure you are aware, don't sacrifice animals anymore because um, we don't have a temple in Jerusalem, and we don't have priests who work in the temple. And ever since the temple was gone from A.D. 70 onwards, you ask a, a rabbi today, how are your sins forgiven? He'll say by prayer and uh, by deeds of charity and by repentance. Um, that's how God forgives our sins. But God actually has, has never said that. Instead, he provided Jesus to be that final day of atonement sacrifice for us. And through him... See, see, here's where all the themes of the holiday come together. Through him, we are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Uh, we could have uh, not only a sweet new year ahead that we symbolize with the apples and honey, but uh, we can also um, uh, be guaranteed that uh, we're in the Book of Life forever, and uh, not just for one more year. So a wonderful story from Genesis 22. Uh, 
I think it comes into focus when we look at John 3.16. Well, there's another scripture on the next slide that is um, read 10 days later on the Day of Atonement that also has to do with repentance and forgiveness. And that's the book of Jonah, which is another wonderful story. And um, part of it is like this. Uh, uh, this is chapter 3 of Jonah. By the way, we, we often talk about how he was swallowed by a whale. It actually doesn't say a whale. It just says like a big fish. Could have been a giant herring. We don't know. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. It was um, three days journey in breadth. And Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. In other words, God's going to judge Nineveh for uh, its sin. But what happened on the next slide, Jonah 3, 5, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast. And they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And the word reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne. He removed his robe and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. So this entire actually pagan city of Nineveh repents. And God uh, doesn't judge them because of their repentance. Uh, if a pagan king in a pagan city can repent of their sins, how much more should we do so as followers of Jesus when we need to? And as you know from reading the whole story, um, and if you haven't read it, it, you know, it's one of those great stories in, in the book uh, that's just full of twists and turns. And uh, Jonah gets upset because um, uh, God forgave Nineveh and didn't judge them. And he was probably thinking to himself, are oh, they one of the enemies of Israel? I wish that God would judge them. And so he got all despondent and sat under a tree. And, and um, at the final word in the book is not from Jonah. The final word in the book is from God who says, listen, shouldn't I have had pity on a great city like Nineveh, which has you know, however many inhabitants he mentions, and also much cattle. Jonah wasn't happy, but God was pleased to forgive the inhabitants for, uh, because of their repentance. Well, if these chapters remind us of the need to repent and of God's provision for our sins through God's son, his only son whom he loved, five days after this, now we move into a whole new, um, a whole new tone of joyfulness. Next slide, joy in God's protection and provision. Once we have moved past repentance and atonement and we've come to, um, to trust God for his atoning work in our lives, we come to the next slide, which is Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. Again, we go back to Leviticus for this. I'll, exp I'll explain what these people are doing. They're in a booth. Um, I'll tell you in a second. But we go back to the Holiday Inn of the Old Testament, Leviticus 23 on the next slide. And here, <clears throat> say to the Israelites on the 15th day of the seventh month, 
the Lord's Feast of Tabernacles begins and it lasts for seven days. And then it has some interesting instructions. On the first day, it's going to go for a week. So on the first day, you are to take choice fruit from the trees and palm fronds and leafy branches and poplars and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Now it's a little lacking in details there. Um, once you take all these uh, these plants, what do you do with them to rejoice before the Lord? Well, we'll come to that too. And then live in booths for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in booths. Why? So that your descendants will know that I made the Israelites live in booths when I brought them out of Egypt. I'm the Lord your God. This holiday is about joy, and particularly joy that God provides for us. Here we learn that God provided our shelter. You know, when we came out of Egypt, we ended up wandering in the desert for 40 years. It's actually maybe a two-week walk. But because we rebelled against God so much, it ended up being 40 years. But God was still merciful to us during that time. Even though we were sinning against him, he still provided for all of our needs. He provided our food. Remember the story how the manna fell down from heaven? Uh, the food every day of the week, except for the Sabbath, two days worth the day before the Sabbath. Forty years, our food. He provided for our clothing. There's actually a verse in Deuteronomy that says, the whole time you wandered on the wilderness, the sandals on your feet did not wear out. Yeah, I'd like to see your local shoe store. Try that one. And then he provided here our shelter, booths. So today, here's what we do on the Feast of Tabernacles as we rejoice in God's provision. The next slide, we build a booth called a sukkah. And many times each home will build a booth or the whole synagogue will build one for the community. And the, see, the roof is kind of open to the elements there. It's got thatched, thatched stuff going on there. Fruit is hanging down. It's a very vulnerable structure. It kind of reminds us that our life is vulnerable. And it's only by God's provision that we, that we continue to live. And then... To, to follow the commandment to rejoice with those different plants. What's that all about? On the next slide, we find out. Three of the plants actually form what looks like a, a vegetable lightsaber there. It's, um, it's, it's, so you got palm branches and willow leaves and myrtle leaves, and you tie them all together into like a long bunch. And then... It also says the fruit of goodly trees in Leviticus. So the yellow fruit is called an etrog. What it is is a citron. And there are actually uh, farms here in California that grow a lot of citrons that um, end up being used by Jewish people in different places for this holiday. And what you do is you go into the booth, into the sukkah, and you take the lulav and you wave it in all the directions of the compass back and forth, and also up and down. And while you're waving that, you're also holding the etrog in the other hand. 
And what's that all about? Well, it fulfills the commandment to rejoice before the Lord with these different plants. I mean, you go into the booth, you kind of wave things around. It's kind of joyful. But also, there's a tradition that says that each of those plants looks like a part of the human body. And I don't know how clear that would be from looking at this, but the palm branches, the long, stiff part, is like our spine. And the myrtle leaves are like our eyes. And the willow leaves look like our lips. And the etrog, the fruit, looks like the human heart. So when we go into the sukkah, the booth, and we wave the lulav and hold up the etrog, we're saying that we want to serve God with our whole being, with what our eyes see, with what our lips speak, with our whole being, you know, our spine, and with our whole heart. And I have to wonder, I have to wonder if Jesus was thinking about this when the young man came up to him and said, what is the greatest commandment of all? And, and Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength. And then he also added, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So this lulav and this etrog, a great way to respond to God's provision by saying we're gonna, we're gonna give him all that we've got. Now, what does Jesus have to do with this holiday? The next slide um, tells us. John chapter 7 is where Jesus actually goes to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. And it was, it was done back then um, differently than it's done today. It was much, uh, much more important on the calendar. It was a much bigger deal back then. And people would come to Jerusalem from all over Judea, Samaria, maybe from other parts of the Roman Empire. And it was a day to offer your first fruits of your crops. So they would load up their, their oxen with all kinds of produce that they had grown on their farms and they would be bringing it to Jerusalem and the oxen would have ribbons around their horns and it would really be like a, a real celebration. And then in the temple itself where people gathered to worship, there would be singing all week long and ceremonies and prayers. And then the last day of this week-long holiday was the greatest celebration of all. And John 7.37 refers to this. It's on the last and greatest day of the feast. This was the day that um, there was a big water show, is maybe the best way I can put it. And the priest would, would get some water from the pool of Siloam, and they'd march over to the altar in the temple, and they'd pour out the water with prayers and chanting and singing as kind of a prayer to God to keep sending the rain, keep providing rain for the coming year. And that was definitely the greatest day of the feast. We don't do that anymore. There's no temple. But the rabbis used to say, if you haven't seen this water show, you haven't seen anything in your whole life, you can't miss it. Got to go. Got to get there. Sometimes you have to be careful when people say you can't miss something. I was traveling near Springfield, Missouri once. And someone said, you're going to Missouri? Oh, be sure to see the Bass Pro Shop. 
You can't miss the Bass Pro Shop, whatever you do. I don't know if you know the Bass Pro Shop. There, there's, I think there's one out near Manteca, probably the closest one. So I went to the Bass Pro Shop. It was a big supermarket for fishing rods. <laughs> I could have missed it. But the rabbi said about this water show, you can't miss it. You have to go see it. Everyone would see it. But what happened on this particular Feast of Tabernacles is on the next slide. Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. You see what Jesus is doing here is he's taking something that's on people's minds, something that they're thinking about, water. And he's using that to segue into thinking of getting people to talk about himself. Hey, y'all looking at the water. Well, you know what? If you believe in me, I'll give you living water. And how do you think people responded when he said that? Next slide. Did they say, ah, oh, just ignore him, he's some nut up there? No. On hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet with a capital P that we read about in the Old Testament, the coming prophet. Others said he is the Messiah, the Christ. Still others asked, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Doesn't the scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? And he got a conversation going about himself, which is what he wanted to do. And so the next slide, John 7, 43, and thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Uh, some were pro, some were con, a very few were neutral. And so they talked about who is Jesus, which is really the most important question that someone can ask. Who is Jesus and what does that mean for me? But he wasn't done making connections at the Feast of Tabernacle. The next slide is where we see John 8, 12. See, in the courtyard of the temple during this holiday, there were four large candelabra that were lit. You had to climb a ladder to get up there, and then you had to light all four. And since the temple's on a hill, that means that the whole city of Jerusalem is getting light coming down from the temple all week long that they don't get any other time of the year. So another thing that people are noticing is light. And again, Jesus makes the connection. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And he, he made that, um, that connection, which he did all the time. Yeah, and, and that's really the best way to communicate the gospel to anyone in your life. Take what, um, what's meaningful to them and use that as a springboard to talk about 
uh, what they really need. Um, Moish Rosen, the founder of Jews for Jesus, um, used to give examples of maybe how he would do it. I tend to think that he could get away with things no one else can or could. And one time I think he suggested when you pick up your dry cleaning at the, uh, at the cleaners, say, you know, Jesus can get your soul cleaner than you can ever get my clothes. <laughs> I don't know that that would work for me. I think the guy would probably just say, that's nice, that'll be $6.99. <laughs> but for him it worked. Uh, and, and, you know, Jesus, you know, took the common things of life, his parables, right? Um, a woman had a lost coin. Um, a shepherd lost a sheep. Um, a farmer's in the field, you know, in agricultural life, they knew all about that. And he always made those connections. That's something we've actually tried to do um, in the Jews for Jesus ministry, uh, just connect with people where they're at and see, see what happens. Now, there's, there's one more thing about uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. You know, we're talking about how it's a feast of joy and a time to celebrate God's provision. We, we build the booth because he provided our shelter. Um, in biblical times, they, they brought the first fruits of their crops to the temple because God provided those crops. They prayed for rain to continue as God's provision. Jesus spoke of himself as the provision of living water and the provision of light to guide our path through our lives. You ever sing this song? There's a great song about this. Um, it's like a chorus. It's called Jehovah Jireh. You know that song? It, it's kind of great. I like it because it's half in Hebrew and half in English, and you have to make both halves rhyme. You kind of have to sing Jehovah Jireh, my provider. And... <laughs> just kind of put it together like that. Um, but there's one more thing about this holiday um, that's really interesting. The next slide is a painting called the Transfiguration. Uh, I don't really know this painter. I found this online, uh, Cornelius Monsma. Um, you know, it's kind of maybe, well, you know the story. Jesus goes up on this mountain. He took uh, Peter and John and James with him and he goes there and suddenly they see him like all glowing and on one side he's got Moses and on the other side is Elijah and then Peter speaks up and you know Peter probably was the disciple most likely to speak whatever was on his mind quickly he said hey it's good that we're we're here, Lord. Let's build three booths, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And, you know, why did he say that? A lot of times people say, well, you know, he was just, Peter, you never know what's going to come out of his mouth next. He was just babbling, whatever. I don't think it was that random. I think, I think if Peter was going to be random, he could have just as well have said, Lord, it's good we're here. Let's all roll down the hill together. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it was that random. I think that Peter was thinking about the Feast of Tabernacles. Why? Because he saw Jesus there kind of glorified and he thought to himself, this is the end of the age. This is the final coming of God's kingdom. This is it. And what do you do at the end of the age? The next slide. 
tells us. He was probably thinking of the book of Zechariah, where at the final chapter, after it talks about this final war that happens, it says, then the survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. If any of the peoples of earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, they will have no rain. There's the rain again. So I think Peter was thinking to himself, oh, this looks like the end of it all. Now that means it's time to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, so let's start building booths. But then as we know what happened, the vision faded. They looked up and they saw only Jesus. And they had to realize that that was a, a glimpse of something that lay ahead in the future when the kingdom of God will finally be here on earth and Jesus will be triumphant and glorified. But things weren't there yet. They had to learn that first Jesus had to suffer and die on that cross so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could have the opportunity to receive the greatest provision of all. Now, let's go up two slides. Two slides more. No, uh, not backwards, but forward two slides. There's a black slide and then one more. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Maybe it's one slide there. It's two slides here. Um, yeah. So I just want to share with you in the next couple of minutes that, you know, our ministry of Jews for Jesus, and a lot of you are familiar with, with us, we exist to tell our Jewish people about what we're seeing this morning, about how the greatest provision God has given to Jews or Gentiles alike is Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, who came not just for Jews, but for the entire world. And he is our great provision. He provides our atonement. He is our day of atonement sacrifice. He provides us with being written eternally in the Lamb's Book of Life with the sweetness of many, many years and eternity ahead of us. He provides us with living water through the Holy Spirit. He provides us with light to guide our path. And he provides us with many other things as well. In our ministry, so we're about communicating this to our Jewish people. Uh, we are now in about... Uh, 14 different countries, I believe it is, around the world. Um, our largest branch turns out to be in Israel. Israel has more Jewish people in it now than North America. It used to be less, then it was equal, now it's more. About 6 million Jews in North America and about 6.7 in Israel. So we've got branches in Tel Aviv there, we've got branches in Jerusalem, and we're just reaching out in so many ways. The Jerusalem office just opened. And, you know, basically our ministry, we're reaching out in three ways. One way we call go and tell. And that's where we just go out to people in all these cities, maybe hand out literature, engage people in conversations about Jesus, um, get out there on social media, Facebook, TikTok, whatever, 
and go out to there and engage people on those platforms. Then we've got something we call come and see, where we invite people to come into our event centers and coffee shops and learn about Jesus. Uh, our New York uh, City office just relocated to right opposite New York University. And so we, we've got a coffee shop we're putting in there and an event space, and we've got something similar in Los Angeles and in Tel Aviv. So in Los Angeles, our event space is called Upside Down, and it's right opposite the UCLA campus. So at least pre-COVID, pre the place was packed out with students. We opened it as a study area. They could buy coffee there. They engaged our people about Jesus. And we've had art shows and photography exhibits where people come in from the community and they look. And again, it engages them with the gospel message. And then we've got a third component, which is called love and serve because there's a lot of physical needs in some parts of the Jewish community. Jerusalem, for example, there's actually a lot of poverty in Jerusalem and in Tel Aviv. Uh, there are people involved in drug addiction, prostitution, um, homeless, and we've got teams there who have been reaching out to these people to meet these very tangible needs and also share the gospel with them. Um, we've just opened up a home in Tel Aviv for women who were being trafficked in prostitution as kind of a safe home where they'll get care and they'll get to hear about the love of Jesus. So these are things you can be praying for. Um, in fact, if you want to, you know, find out what to pray for, just be in, in communication, you all got an index card, a colored index card in your bulletin. If you wouldn't mind taking that out, um, as I'm speaking. And if you don't like the color of your index card, there are several different colors. So find someone with a different color and exchange it with them and tell them, I don't like my color. Uh, can I swap with you? Okay. And so this card, if you put down your information on here, name, your mailing address, or your email, we'll be in touch with you. Okay. Does everyone have a card? Okay, good, good. So I know a lot of you already get our newsletter. You can fill it out anyway so that we know that you were here today and just say, I already get the newsletter. And um, we, we have both print and email communication. So this is our newsletter, right? It's by both print and email. And this will keep you in touch. Things to pray for and find out stories about Jewish people who are hearing of the gospel around the world. I mean, not just Israel, not just the United States, the former Soviet Union, you know, we've got four branches in Ukraine, and um, Paris, and South Africa. I mean, it, it just goes on. There's a lot going on. And uh, we'll always give you something that you can uh, pray for each month, and also practical articles to connect the Old and New Testament, or to help you share your faith with Jewish friends. So what you can do after you fill out the card, so I'll be at the table in the lobby afterwards. Um, you can uh, stop there and drop off the card, okay? And so that brings me to, to that table. Um, 
we've got free stuff marked free and some stuff for sale marked uh, not so free. Uh, you'll find samples of the newsletters, issues, something that we send to Jewish people uh, to look over. Um, we'll, we'll have some books. We have a book on the Feast of Tabernacles and a few others there. So I'll be there uh, as you exit later. And um, yeah, if you can't sign up today, you can go to that URL there. And also, if, you, if you're live streaming this and uh, you're not here to fill out a card or whatever, go to that URL, j4j.co slash rir, and uh, you can um, sign up to get our communications there and or give a gift, uh, whatever's on your heart. So it's been a real joy to, uh, to have been with you here this morning. Um, why don't we just end with a prayer, and after that, I think the worship team is coming back up. So let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you so much for everything that you have given and provided for us uh, in Jesus. The holidays on the Jewish calendar um, are understood in some ways in the Jewish community, but not usually in terms of how Jesus interacts with them, how Jesus fulfills them, how Jesus is the ultimate example of what those holidays stand for. Lord, we thank you that Jesus has become our atonement, our provision, our living water, and the light of our world. As we leave here today, Lord, may we be encouraged by all you've done for us and may it motivate us to respond to you with our whole being, our eyes, our lips, our heart to serve you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you, Rich, for uh, coming over. We're so uh, blessed by it. Um, and we're going to have one more song of worship. So you join us in worship. And uh, like he said, he has have a table right outside with materials. You guys want to check out right after. So uh, let's worship. <laughs>